0: Morning church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks. Let's stand. We haven't done this for a while. So greet one another, please. Today, uh, Pastor Matt will be sharing with us, he'll be reading and preaching from the Gospel of Luke, and specifically, he'll be uh, preaching on the passage in Scripture where Jesus is tempted in the desert. And so, uh, as we begin this morning, I'd like to read these words from James. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So instead, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil. And if you do this, he will flee from you. Come near to God and you can be sure that he will come near to you. One of the great ways to resist the devil is by worshiping. And we can worship in our cars or in home or in bed at night. Um, But together here... In this time of corporate worship, we're going to lift God's name up on high this morning, and the devil is going to flee from this place, and we're going to praise him. Okay? Everyone clear on that? Okay. All right. Father God, we come before you to offer up our praises and our worship to you. We want to draw close to you, for as your word says, then you will draw close to us. So let us take this step towards you this morning, Father God, and, and hear our praises. May you be blessed as you hear this body, your church, raising our voices to you. Lord, may we feel your presence here this morning. Amen.
1: There will be a time when the sun will rise Like any other day Then he'll come like a thief in the night Well, this is what I'm longing for And In that time he'll usher in and bring An end to death and pain and suffering Well, this is what I'm longing for will so set my eyes on the ways of the risen Lord. And all my days I'll follow You, but something in my heart cries. I thirst for so much more. Oh, my soul long, my soul long, my soul long. for the the coming of the prayers and lord in that time justice will reign the oppressed will be set free for the glory of your name this is what i'm longing for well every head will turn every eye will see and every knee will bow to the king of kings well, this is what I'm longing for so I set my eyes on the ways of the risen Lord well all my days I will follow you but something in my heart cries I thirst for so much more oh my soul and my soul longs. So long oh, for the coming of the risen Lord. coming back for his bride hallelujah he's coming back for his bride hallelujah he's coming back for his bride hallelujah he's coming back for his bride hallelujah for his bride, for his bride, for his bride, my soul longs, oh my soul longs, my soul longs for the coming of the risen Lord. His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid Him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. And oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, oh, praise His name for The third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven, heaven rose again, again. O trampled dead, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Oh praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh praise His name. Forevermore, for endless days, we will sing your praise, oh Lord. Shall return in, in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pass the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Woo! is For Jesus, Holy Jesus, who can command the highest praise? Who has the name above all names You stand alone, oh I stand amazed oh Jesus, Holy Jesus. In Holy King Almighty, Lord, saints and angels all adore, I join with them and bow before Jesus, Holy Jesus. And you will command the highest praise, Yours is the name of all names. You stand alone, and I stand amazed, Jesus, Holy Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Holy Jesus, Holy King Almighty. Lord, oh, saints and angels all adore i join with them and bow before jesus holy jesus you will command the highest praise yours is the name above all names will you stand alone and i stand amazed jesus holy jesus and you will command the highest praise yours is the name above all names you stand alone and i stand amazed jesus only jesus jesus only jesus oh jesus only jesus Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. O oh God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing that without salvation jesus for our sake you died Oh, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise Praise for three in one. Oh, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King. that you rose all of heaven held its breath till the storm was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father i restore and the church of Christ was born and the Spirit let the flame Now the gospel truth of old Shall not kneel, shall not faint By His blood and in His name In His freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who has resurrected me Oh, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. Oh, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of
0: Amen. You may be seated.
2: Thank you, worship team. As the children are being dismissed, I'd like to remind you um, that following the service... Um, there will be a missions fundraising lunch for Ellen Goswiller. Um, she's going to be sharing during that time of her upcoming missions uh, partnership with Reach Global. And we hope that you can make that and, uh, and bless her and give towards the gospel going forth as uh, Ellen steps out in faith with Reach Global. And so, again, that will be uh, after the service here up in the fellowship hall. And hopefully, again, that you'll be able to make that. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4... We're going to continue our study through this wonderful gospel, and it's been exciting to hear many of you share as we've gone through this, how God's speaking, and uh, that's, that's really, really uh, what we need. And so, um, as we, or before we begin anything, let's pray. Lord, um, it strikes me that as we've worshipped you in song in a very real way, The way we respond to what your Spirit says is in essence worship. You are so worthy of every breath we take of worship, God. And It's in these moments that I would ask, Holy Spirit, you would speak. Because if you don't speak, we're in real trouble. We are needy people. God, we're hungry. We're hungry for your truth. We've been surrounded all week by so many different voices that utter foolishness. We need to hear you. Please speak to each heart and each circumstance. Young and old alike, God, do we have ears to hear? Hearts to receive what you have for us in these moments. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beginning a series, Luke right away at the beginning of the gospel, said, hey, it's my goal to write an orderly account so that you can be certain of the life of Jesus Christ and why he came. And so, as we read through this, we we read through this historian, this doctor who is recording these things so you and I can be certain of what Jesus said and why he came. And so, as we approach Luke 4, I mean, last week we got to the genealogies, and let's be honest, some of us said, well, says you checked out mentally. You're like, okay, this has got nothing to do with me, they can't pronounce the names, and so mentally you were somewhere else. But let me ask you right up front, does anybody here face temptation? Okay, there's young hands going up. Okay, so no one can check out this morning. We all face this. And uh, if you missed last week, you do need to hear about the genealogies because they do impact us. But this morning is something that's that you, know, we're, you came in this door facing temptation. You might have been angry with your child or critical or frustrated, and, and, uh, and some of you are going to leave, and it's going to be two steps out the door and whammo, temptation. We get hammered by it day after day. And so as we read this account, Of Jesus facing temptation. Uh, We can certainly find so much here uh, from Jesus' example. Let's start in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days. And when they ended, he was hungry. I don't know about you, but we studied Jesus' baptism. And as we looked at his baptism, we looked at his obedience, we looked at his, his willingness to come and identify with us. We looked at his fulfillment of prophecy. We looked at the Father was pleased with him. The Holy Spirit descended on him. The Father said, you're my beloved Son with whom I'm pleased. And when we get to chapter 4, full of the Spirit, return from the Jordan. Now i got to expect, if we were honest, and I said, okay, you're full of the Spirit, you're led by the Spirit, he's got to be going to some oasis where there's times of refreshment because he's full of the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. Why would the Spirit lead him to something other than refreshment, satisfaction, a good palm tree, but that's not at all what we read. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I mean, he's, he's, Jesus is spending his whole life totally filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And he's not led to a place where there's rich food and many trees. But into the wilderness. Mark 1.13 adds, oh, by the way, with wild animals. Okay, not a vacation spot. Wilderness with wild animals. He's alone, he's tired, doesn't eat for 40 days. Hungry is an understatement. Weary of prowling animals. And this wilderness for certainly recalls Israel's post-Exodus wanderings. It was the place of Israel's testing. Forty days is specifically equated with the 40 years of wandering. And as Israel was tempted by hunger, tempted to worship something other than God, tempted to put God to the test, so appropriately Jesus' responses come from Deuteronomy, each of his. That's a real interesting study in and of itself. But they directly connect to the testing of Israel in the wilderness. For 40 days, he's fasted. He's prayed. And there's an important comma. If you're an English teacher, you're going to appreciate the commas. was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Comma, being tempted by the devil. By implication, it wasn't just Satan came and temptation 1, 2, and 3, and he's done. The other 38 days. No, for 40 days he was tempted. And in the condition he was. Tired, hungry, weary for 40 days. And you know what happens, you can testify this to your life, when you're physically weak, you know what happens? Emotionally, we're vulnerable. Right? You've been there. Something about the correlation of physically weak and emotionally, we become very vulnerable. And so, we can't overlook this in this text of what's going on here. Now, two critical questions right off the bat. As we read this, as others might read this, is the devil real? Now, if you've been a Christian for a lot of years, you might be, well, sure. Well, a study by Barn and I, I don't know, it was about maybe 10 years ago, revealed only 58% of people in America believe Satan is real, and demons didn't fare much better. They only got 48% acknowledgement. If that's even close to true, there's 40% of America that's already testified to the reality of the devil by not believing in him. He's already duped him. And so the question, is the devil real, is a pertinent one in America for sure. Too many consider him a myth or mischievous little troublemaker. But the devil revealed in the Bible is not only real, but powerful. He's the father of lies and deception. We're told in 2 Corinthians 11, he disguises himself as an angel of light, and he's really good at it. And though we may not be able to see him, he is as real and as deadly as electricity surging through a wire. And if we believe in the unseen spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness as revealed, then it should not be a long jump to reveal in an unseen enemy. Now, I don't have time to go in all of uh, satanic and demonic attacks. We did a series as a congregation, if you remember not long ago, um, called The War. And you can go on a church website under media and you can find that whole series, if you weren't here, which talks about spiritual warfare. And we talk uh, about what the scriptures teach about Satan, demons, and their attacks on us. And so um, I, I direct you there to find out more about that. But we want to look specifically at the temptation of Jesus here, which begs another question. Were Jesus' temptations real? I mean, some come and say, well, he's God who came down to earth. Certainly those temptations weren't real. And so how, how can I relate to that? Well, to grasp this big picture, there's to grasp the person of Christ, there's some things we got to make sure we understand and believe that the Scriptures reveal that he is God that he became man and that he's holy. Remember back in the account, uh, the the angel said of Jesus, this child to be born will be holy. Holy without sin. Scripture says of human beings that our hearts are desperately wicked. James 1.14 says we are dragged away by our own evil desires. Not Jesus Because he's holy. He took flesh, but not fallen flesh. And like Adam and Eve, originally in the garden, the temptation he faced was from without because there was not corruption within. In other words, Satan couldn't come and and, and, and touch upon corruption within. He had to come with more of a direct assault. And where Adam and Eve failed in the best of the environment, Jesus succeeded in the worst of the environment. Maybe this illustration helps when we consider this question about where Jesus' temptations real? Suppose there were three airmen flying jets. And they all come under enemy attack. And they get shot down. They're alive and, and the enemy takes each of the three captive. And they want to get information from these airmen That would allow them to best attack the forces that sent the airmen. And so the first airman comes, and he knows what's going to happen. I mean, they're going to try to break him. So he comes in. He doesn't want to give up any information. But he thinks, you know what? I mean, they're going to bring torture. They're going to bring pain. And I'm going to wind up giving it up anyways. And so he just gives it up. The second airman comes, and asks, after asking for rank and serial number, he's standing firm. He says, I'm not going to give this up. I'm not going to give any information to them that would hurt the country that sent me. But after a few measures of pain and torture, he, they break him, and he gives up the information. The third airman's brought forth. He says, you won't break me. They said, Oh, we'll see. We'll see. And so they begin to try to break him with cruel punishment. They don't. So they increase the pain and intensity. He still won't break. They throw everything they have at him, and he still won't break. My question which one faced the greatest force of the enemy? The one who didn't break. Only the one who did not break fully knew the greatest force of the enemy. The enemy does all he can to break him, but he cannot do so. Jesus' temptation was far greater than any human being has ever faced. Adam and Eve eventually broke. Every human being since then eventually broke, but not Jesus. He faced the greatest force, and he did not break. I want to learn from someone who did not break. Because I break. And so let's look at this pattern of what Satan tries to bring against Jesus. Begins in verse 3. The devil said to him, By the way, if the devil's talking to you, we already got issues. Right? I mean, that that means he's got a whole different agenda. If, If he's not talking to you, or if you're not feeling any satanic opposition... That's a pretty good sign you're probably in a bad place already. He doesn't need to harass those who already belong to him. Man does not live. I'm sorry, devil said, if you are the son of God. Another translation accurate would be, since you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Okay, he can't touch on the corruption within because there is no corruption with Jesus. So he brings a direct assault. And he tries, first of all, to induce doubt and confusion. I mean, he doesn't really try to attack his identity. Satan already knows who he is, and he already knows Jesus knows who he is. So says, okay, since you're the son of God, I'm going to give that to you. Maybe this would be a good idea. And he tries to induce doubt and confusion. Why would the Father do this to you, Jesus? Why would the Father bring you into the wilderness? There's no food no protection from these wild animals. Why would the father do this? It's, a requ- it's not a request to prove he's the son of God by performing a miracle. It's to prove basically one of, you sure you don't think there's a better way here? You sure the father's not holding out? And there's no one there to prove anything to anyways. <laughs> there's no audience right there. And so the focus lies on what it means to be the son of God, not that he is the son of God. And this temptation really is not one so much of self-indulgence because it's not sin to eat bread, right? I mean, it wouldn't be a sin to turn the the stones into bread. That wouldn't be a sin either. The sin would be, why would you do it? That's the sin. He's trying to confuse the issue. Satan was aware To some degree of the incarnation, we're not entirely sure all that he understood about it. And that Jesus had set aside the independent use of his divine power. But he's attempting, as he had with Eve, to get him to distrust God's love and provision. Now, to go back in the garden a little bit would be a great study. But I I just kind of want us to grab a couple things Because since Luke traces his genealogy of Jesus all the way back to Adam, there's a connection as we go into Luke 4 with Adam. It's about the temptations. Now, if we looked at these two things, the parallels with the temptation of Adam that led to the fall, first of all, Jesus obeys God as we read this account, and he remains faithful to God, whereas Adam and later Israel failed. The human fall was caused by disobedience. Adam yielded to the temptation to eat certain foods that he and his wife were forbidden to eat. Jesus, as the Son of God, prized obedience to God over satisfying his hunger and he remained a faithful son. Adam was given dominion over the world but was tempted to seize even more to become like God. Jesus did not seek or a power or a kingdom of his own. Adam risked disobeying the command of God because of the promise that he and his wife would not die. Jesus refused the devil's challenge to test his promised um, invulnerability by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple, which we'll look at here, and put God to the test. But he would accept his mission that brings death. Adam lost paradise. But Jesus could tell a repentant sinner that he will share paradise with him. And so the parallels are rich and very instructive, going to more. But you're going to notice these are not new temptations. Because the enemy came to Adam and Eve and, and he wanted to induce confusion and doubt. Remember what he said to Eve? You know, has God really said that? Are, are you sure? What was he trying to do? He's trying to confuse Eve. And as he will with Satan's other temptations, he tried confuse us he wants us to learn he wants us to doubt and so he says why why would God do that you sure God's not holding out on you that's okay I mean how many times we heard that's okay just just one just one act of disobey then you'll stop or or just take that just this once and, and nobody will know it's it's okay just just once and so the enemy whispers to us. Look at Jesus' answer, verse 4. Jesus answered him and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Again, he quotes from Deuteronomy. What sustains a person's life is not food, but obedience to everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus refused to act of his own initiative but in complete trust of the Father's love. And this temptation, to a degree, is a private matter because who really knows if you're trusting God or not? You and God, right? I mean, it's just you two. You try to dupe everybody else, but when it comes to trusting God, it's you and God are the only two who really know it. So in this sense, it's kind of a private temptation that you and I face. Satan will place lies in your head, Or messages from social media or all the commercials. All kinds of avenues to get you to doubt his love and his care for you. And so the love-starved spouse has an affair. The intimacy-craving individual seeks it out in pornography. The peace-starved individual looks for a bottle. In each case, there's planted doubt and there's planted confusion regarding the love and care of God. But Jesus goes to the word, he says, it is, it's written. Boy, i got to be honest, there's a strong, strong desire I long for God's people to be in the word. I hope you are. I hope you get in your Bible daily, not out of guilt, because that's what a good Christian do, does, but with a deep sense of desperation that if I'm not reading his word, I'm in trouble. Because the only other thing I got to fall on is what I might have in here, my reasoning, or the world's reasoning. And it's probably not too long of a jump for you to realize that's not going to work. Thy word is truth, Jesus prayed. Sanctify them by the truth. If you want to become more like Jesus, if you want to walk in victory, you need to be in the Bible. There's no other way to get God's words and to read it. It's good to listen. I hope you do. But like the Bereans, I hope you're of noble character that you'll take what comes out of this mouth or any other speaker's mouth and you go back to the scriptures and say, is this accurate? Because God, I'm desperate for your truth. I need to know the truth. Or I'm going to fall. Or I'm going to become disobedient. I hope you hunger for God's truth. You need to know it. And if you're not daily reading God's word, can I just exhort you strongly? Start with a paragraph and just think about it. But let God's spirit take God's truth and strengthen you. Because the enemy's going to come. And if you got nothing to say, it's written somewhere. Or I think it's written. A Satan's going to laugh. <laughs> I mean, he's not intimidated by what you think or what you might think. But when we come and say it's written, we hit him. We hit him with truth. We'll talk about why it's important in a minute. It's written. Can't emphasize that enough. I could stop here, and, and that's enough for all of us to go home and say, okay. But there's two other temptations we should look at. Verses 5 through 8. Follow along with me. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus' answer is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's an offer of power. Listen, Satan says, if God's your father, you're entitled to it all. Just grab it. Now, Satan is a liar, and it's a subtle thing because he's pretending to offer what what, what is not his to give. He isn't the possessor of the world. He's been called Prince of the Power of Air, called the ruler of the world system that dominates the nations of the world, but he's not the possessor. That's God and God's alone. You see, to succumb to this temptation would mean there'd be no struggling. If Jesus succumbed to this temptation, there'd be no suffering. There'd be no cross. If there was just one little compromise, God wants his son to rule not with a crown of power, but with a crown of thorns that satisfies the father. Power has its price, and in Jesus' case, the price for power would be to serve Satan. And while hungry for bread, Satan was hoping Jesus was hungry for power. And so the enemy comes, and he offers power, or he offers us just a little more. You know, you should have more, he says. You should have bigger. And so we're enticed toward greed, and when it comes to scenarios and temptations, let's be honest, sometimes it's not a financial problem, it's a worship problem. And Satan comes with the subtlety, and he's so good at it. You just need a little more. Just a little more. And and we're tempted to all of a sudden become very frustrated and, and depressed because we don't have more. And more. You see, Satan's not too creative. He just keeps coming with the same temptation. Problem is, we just keep getting duped by it. Once more, scriptures guide Jesus' response. Satan's proposal would allow Jesus to bypass suffering or to doubt God's plan. Jesus is having none of it. In verse 8, if you read it again, Jesus answered, his, answered him and it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and own and serve him only. Again, his answer comes from Deuteronomy. Israel was to worship God alone, but they became entangled with idolatry in the wilderness. And the angel of the Lord was kindled, and if anger of the Lord was kindled against them, the result was disastrous. When they entered the promised land, they did exactly what God had told them, forbid them to do. Not surprising, they became ensnared again to idolatry. And by contrast, Jesus stands firm In his obedience to God, by saying, I'm only going to worship the Father. That's all we should worship. And then the third one is this push to presumption verses 9 through 12. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, you put the Lord your God to the test. And When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. After having failed twice, Satan tries another avenue. Now here is a really subtle thing he does that we could easily miss. We've heard Jesus quote Scripture, and each time, remember, he had said, it is written. The first two times Satan tries to throw Scripture in here, or tries to tempt him, there's nothing about anything being written. But notice the subtlety what Satan does this time. He says, it is written. Satan knows the word, and this subtle inclusion of the words, it is written, is, is maybe to tempt Jesus to deviate a little bit with a dis- towards a distortion of Scripture. I mean, I don't know if you've driven by the new church property. See that structure going up? You ever seen that massive crane? What a beast that thing is. Okay? What if the temptation to you was, hey, climb that bad boy, and, and from the top, jump, because his angels will catch you. Now, a lot of us here would go, I don't think so. And, and part of you would be saying, well, maybe I don't have enough faith. Jesus is saying, that's a distortion of Scripture. That's, it's not the proper use of it. But Satan's good at distorting Scripture. But Jesus, once again, comes right back to the truth and the appropriate interpretation of Scripture. And he says, wait a minute. You shouldn't put God to the test. In other words, comparing Scripture with Scripture, you're violating This And so this is a distortion, which is a great, great lesson for us. If you come across a passage of Scripture that seems a little confusing or you're uncertain, compare it with the rest of Scripture. God never contradicts himself. Because the reality is any text taken out of context can become a pretext. I mean, you could prove anything from the Bible if you take it out of context. It's what Satan does in this temptation. He takes it out of context and he says... Maybe if I use the words, it is written, Jesus will just kind of go with it. Maybe he'll just run with it. And uh, that's not flying. Jesus isn't going to fall for that one. And so Satan comes trying with the door of reason. tries to come in that door. And it doesn't work. But you know what I've learned? And, And this is, boy, this is so crucial, especially with kids. When Satan can't come in the door of reason, he tries the back door of imagination. That's why, what a gift imagination is in a child's life. But boy, what danger Satan can do when he gets in the back door of imagination. And he begins to tempt our children, or, or all of us, and we begin to, our imagination begins dis- distorted, becomes distorted. And you know it affects our reason. He's a wily, wily enemy. And, and he's wilier and smarter than you and I. So we should be leery and weary of Him. Now Jesus could have flung himself off the pinnacle of the temple and preserved himself, but he wouldn't have preserved his mission, because his mission was to seek and save the lost. And set in the context of Scripture, Jesus resolves again with this firm conviction of, "No, No, no. I'm going to obey the Father." The Father who said He's well pleased with me, I want to please Him, and so Jesus resolves of pure obedience. Now, don't overlook this text because I'm going to read another passage from Romans five eighteen through nineteen. Therefore, one tra- trespass led to the condemnation for all men; so one act of righteousness leads to the justification. And life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Here's the beauty of the gospel. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. You look at Luke 4, I hope you appreciate it. By the one man's obedience, it made possible, you and I, to become righteous before God. That's the beauty of the good news of the gospel. And any application's got to start there. First and foremost, have you come by faith, trusting in Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection, and payment for your sin? Have you trusted in Christ and Christ alone? That's the first application, first and foremost. Everyone acknowledged you face Temptation. Let me ask you, how are you handling it today? Look at your last week. Let's just start small. How'd you do? I, I mean, let's be honest. Very few of us probably nailed it 100%. But as you look back, are you like, not only did I not nail it 90%, I, I was just thrown away. I, I, just, I just wasn't living in obedience in any way, shape, or form. I was careless with my life. I don't know what camp you're in, but how are you doing with temptation? The first thing I want to declare, escape is always possible. Hebrews 2, 18 through, 17 through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, every respect Jesus, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We've all acknowledged we face temptation. Jesus wants to help you in your temptation. Corinthians tells us there's always a way of escape. Every temptation, he's provided a way out. None of us can say, I couldn't help it. It was too much. There was no way I could have resisted. You can't say that. Jesus wants to help you. He's provided a way of escape. And so no matter what temptation you face this morning, you need to know escape is always possible. And personally, I just want to say there's three lessons here. When you are weak, expect a major assault. When you're physically weak, as I said, we're emotionally vulnerable. Satan takes advantage of specific circumstances to launch his assaults. Maybe you lost a job, and here comes Satan. The critical spirit, the anger, that all of a sudden begins to well up. Maybe you don't normally struggle with anger, but all of a sudden, the temptation's there. Like never before, Satan's ruthless. And so when you're weak, expect a major assault. On a personal level, I'm not a worrier. I mean, it's just, I struggle with a lot of things, but worry's never really been one of them until cancer came. Then all of a sudden, there's this temptation to worry. I never, ask Cindy, I never worry hardly, and all of a sudden, there's this temptation I didn't really have to face before. What happened? When you're weak, expect a major assault. Number two, when you resist, be alert for a different approach. Just because you say no doesn't mean Satan's going to stop, he's going to come another door. It could be finances that maybe you never worried about all of a sudden. He's going to try that door. And and let's say you hold you resist and you're like, "No, no, no, no. no. God will provide all my needs according to his riches and glory." I hit him. Boom. You hit him and say, "Okay. You got that one. I'm going to try to try to come through your children." Or I'm going to try this, or a coworker, or temptation from an a- other avenue. When you resist, be alert for a different approach. He brings temptation in other areas. Through life, envy, lust, anger, doubt. He has many approaches and he's going to use them all. And when he leaves, third one, count on another attack. Notice in verse 13 in Luke 4, it says he came, he left. After it had ended every temptation, he departed from him until what? A more opportune time. We're going to see the enemy rear his head up in Jesus' life more. But you and I must keep walking in the spirit in obedience to God's voice. It's not like we can resist the temptation today and say, I got this thing figured out Monday, I'll just go do what I want. Seriously? Really? No. You resist him, he'll count on another attack, he's going to keep coming. He's going to keep coming at you. Fearless. I don't know, I like a good boxing match. And uh, I used to like Evander Holyfield. One, and the reason I like Evander Holyfield is, well, it's his nickname. He was the real deal, so you have to like him, right? Um, but he was a great counterpuncher. I mean, Tyson and all them come wailing away, and he would just wait and wait, and all of a sudden, wham, counterpunch. Satan's going to come wailing away, probably in about 10 minutes, counterpunch him with the word. E.V. Hill had a message years ago, Promise Keepers, I still remember it to this day. He says, When the enemy comes, hit him. Hit the word, hit him. Keep hitting him. Counterpunch is the word. You counterpunch with Scripture. The hits will come. He's going to keep throwing them. I wish he didn't. I wish I could tell you that'll stop. It won't. But you have a counterpunch, it's Scripture. And it's written. He can't handle that. He's going to have to try something else. And so stay in the Word, counterpunch with the Word, because biblical truth is how we're going to win the war. How we're going to walk in obedience to God's truth is the degree to which you and I will experience victory. So along with prayer, Scripture is the essential weapon we must use to defeat temptation. I thought that if there were several camps of where you're at in your spiritual journey present, there's, there's two probably right now I really, really want to zero in on, and, and only you know where you're at. One of the camps is you're really struggling, and if you're honest, you're losing. You're not doing real well. Maybe somebody knows, maybe nobody knows. But the temptations, whatever area it would be in, could be the worry, could be the anger, could be the lust, whatever the avenue it's coming, if you were honest, you look and say right now, I'm losing this thing. You don't want to, but you are. There's also another camp that says I'm lost, and I don't know this Jesus that Luke's talking about. I don't have a relationship with him, and I'm helpless in this thing called this battle. And you know know you've never trusted Christ alone for salvation. And maybe you're in one of those two camps. You could be a third camp and say, you know, I've been resisting him lately. I'm in a pretty good season right now. And Maybe the lesson you need to take out of here is, I better be ready. <laughs> there might be a different avenue or something, but he's going to come, and he's going to come swinging. Stay strong. As Jay had a great passage, draw near to God, and keep drawing near to him, and he'll come near to you, and you'll be able to resist him. Keep that focus. But I really really want, deeply yearn that you and I would leave here with hope. That you, no matter what's happened, no matter how hard the struggle's been, you could leave and know, Jesus will t- help me. He knows what it is to be tempted. He felt the full force. And if anyone can help you, it'd be the one who didn't, wasn't broken. And that he's provided a way out. You don't have to lose. I really, really hope that you could leave with that hope and assurance. And I really hope that if you're lost, you could leave here, calling upon the name of the Lord, and that you'd be saved. And so I want to lead you in prayer, for I really long for us all to walk and experience the victory of obedience to God, that you and I could draw near to him. And so I want to lead us all in prayer, and this is my prayer, and, and I, but I, I hope it becomes yours, and so maybe in your spirit you want to amen. Or, or repeat the words. Um, but let's pray together to the only God who can give us victory. Father, your word is true. We can, we can bank our life on it. We thank you for Luke 4, 1 through 13. There's so much here that helps us. Helps us every minute of every day. I'm so grateful for that. Dear Lord, help me, help us to trust you at all times. But especially in the desert times of our life. When I'm tempted to live by sight rather than by faith. When I'm tempted to depend on myself rather than you. Help us, God, when we are tempted to question your love. When we're tempted to defect. God, help us to see that the Father's word is not only more nourishing than food, but more necessary. And that he decrees bread or stones according to which one at the moment provides the best nourishment for my soul, for our souls. God, help us never doubt your love for us. Keep me from temptation of ever putting the love, your love, to the test. Keep us from being enticed by whatever trinket Satan dangles before us. God, guard us from the temptation of never wanting anything more than we want you. God, give each of us a thirst for your words. Help me help us to realize that it's not knowledge alone of your word that delivers us. Even Satan had that but it was obedience to your word that brought you through each temptation. Lord, deliver us from the evil one. You know how weak we are. You know how vulnerable we are. And Lord, should you ever lead us into, a tempta- into some desert to be tempted by him, help me to realize that greater is he that is within me than he that is within the world. And Lord, if we resist, he will flee. Jesus, thank you for the lesson this morning that you were tempted in every way that I am tempted. And you are sympathetic to my struggles. You know and you want to help. And thank you that I can come boldly before you and find grace and find help and find understanding. And it's to you I come now and I do so in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: Good morning. My name's Al Nagel. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I just uh, thank you for that message. Karen and I were talking this this after this uh, week, and Sharing how grateful we are we have a pastor that's willing to challenge us and and not just tell us maybe what we want to hear sometimes. And boy, that was a challenge. And uh, I know I fail that challenge sometimes. But anyway, um, so I want to just bring a few things to your attention this morning. Um, In your bulletin, you'll find your connection card. We'd ask you to fill that out and put it in the offering plate when that comes around. It's a way for us to to know you're here and and also if there's any prayer requests. If you want to add that on there, that'd be great. And then also you'll see next week we have our election of uh, various offices at the church and so that will be next week if you want to be here for that, that'd be great. And then also in your bulletin you'll see this this yellow card and um, that talks about the sale of our building and we'll be voting on that next week as well and we're very grateful that God has brought us a buyer for our building. And um, so um, there's also a need, you probably saw it in your bulletin, for people to make treats for the workers out there at the building site. Uh, we are short of people that want to do that. So if you want to consider signing up for that, that would be awesome. And um, and then, as Pastor mentioned, after the service, um, we will have an event for Ellen Goswell up in, this, in the fellowship hall uh, where she'll be talking about her mission work, and, and so we look forward to that. So I hope you can all join us. You know, as you were giving the message this morning, I, you brought up the, you, thought, you brought it up right after I thought about it, but I remember going to Promise Keepers down in Minneapolis, and one of the speakers said, if Satan can just screw up a man, he can screw up a marriage. And if he can screw up a marriage, he can screw up a family. And if he can screw up a family, he can screw up a neighborhood. And he took that all the way out. But, he says, but if God can change a man, he can change a marriage. If you can change a marriage, you can change a family. And if he can change a family, he can change a neighborhood. And of course, he runs that all the way out. He can change a world. And I just, I I couldn't help but think about that. You know, we have a choice. What are we going to do with that choice? Are we going to be, are we going to allow Satan to tempt us and win? Or are we going to choose to make a change? So, if you will, join us in prayer as we. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that that you're in control of all this. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to you and we can ask for forgiveness and that we can seek you and that you can help us overcome Satan and his temptations. Lord, I thank you that you give us a way out and that Satan doesn't ultimately control this. Lord, I, um, Lord, I pray for... Um, Ellen, as she prepares for going on mission field, and we just pray that you bless her in, in this new step and for the courage that she has shown in following you, Lord. Lord, I also pray for those people that are sick and are, are needing healing, Lord. I pray for Pastor Matt and Cindy, for Russ Irvin, for Steve Schwartz and Faith Morfitt, for Deborah Powers and Elroy Deline. Becky Swenson, Peter Nyquist, Dolores Sorensen, Russ Brown, Jim Martinson, Jessica Brech, Sheila Reich, Cheryl uh, Lundin, and Gil Matson. Lord, we just pray for healing for each of them. Lord, I, I thank you that um, we are seeing the b- new building going up. Lord, we pray for for protection for the workers that work on this building. And, Lord, we just pray for how you are going to use our this new facility. And Lord, we just pray that it would reach, that you would use it as a tool to reach out to this community. Lord, as our ushers come forward, Lord, I just thank you for the gift of, um, of being able to give back. Um Lord, we thank you for what you're going to use these funds for. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Jake Linder, and I'm going to give a quick update on the progress of the building, as many of you have probably seen as you drive by. Um, We can see structure going up. It's exciting to start to see it take shape. Um, we have been losing a few days here and there to rain. So um, as far as timeline goes, we're still not quite as far as we hoped we would be, but we're still pretty much on track with what we were hoping to be. So, so long term, we're hoping to be in the new building around Easter time. Um, so far, that hasn't changed. So give you that's a quick update there. Julie's going to put some pictures up behind me here. Um, so that's time frame. I was trying to think of what people would actually want to see or what hear about besides just seeing the, this, the pictures. Um, that's the delivery of the, the wall material, and you can see the steel structure behind, behind that. Um, floors all poured, plumbing was all roughed in. So they're starting to fill in the walls around that structure. So that's two totally different contractors or subcontractors. One company puts up the steel structure, and then another company comes in and builds the walls. So the walls are actually not, for the most part, structurally supporting the roof. It's a mess out there for sure. Um, There's lots of rain, too much rain this year. I saw in the news we're almost at, all-time record for the year for one year in Minnesota just happens to be the year we wanted to build a church so we're dealing with it Um, so I'll just let the slides run through next week Al mentioned there's a congregational meeting next week I'm going to give more details at that time and you'll have opportunity to ask questions Um, you don't have to be a member to attend the meeting you got to be a member to vote for the election But you do not need to be a member to attend. And if you do have questions in the meantime, feel free to ask myself or Bob Sievert um, about any specific questions. So quick cost update. There has been a few additional costs. Part of it was due to the rain and some of the things we dealt with in the parking lot um, and just a few other, I would say, relatively minor things so far. Um, Thankfully, the contractor does build in a contingency. We have not used up all that contingency yet, but we have started to use some. uh, we're still okay as far as cost goes. Uh, thank you to everybody that's provided treats. That has been a blessing to everybody on the site that's been very received very well, obviously. Um, Bob and I have been on the receiving end of that, and so we, we appreciate that as well. Um, we do have, Bob and I meet with the contractor every week at 9 o'clock. We meet with the contractor, the architect comes every other week, and then any subcontractors that are starting to Either they have questions or things need to be, you know, they're new to the, to the job. Um, they come into that meeting as well. And then every other Thursday evening, we meet as a construction committee. So there's about six or eight of us that meet on Thursday evenings every other week to talk about uh, decisions that we need to make. Um, one exciting thing is we did order a sign recently. That wasn't necessarily in the budget before, so now we're going to have a sign so everybody will know what this building is. Uh, That'll be important, I think. Uh, One prayer request, so to wrap up today, uh, one prayer request is, um, it's a construction project and there's lots of people involved and there's lots of personalities and subcontractors and one prayer request is that I ju- we want to be a blessing to these guys as they're working through our project, and you know, with different personalities come friction. Each subcontractor, as they come on site, thinks their work is the most important work, and if an issue comes up, it's somebody else's fault usually. Um, so, from an owner perspective, as the body of Elam, please pray that our response to some of those things would have an impact on these subcontractors and contractors. I'm thankful that our architect and our builder, our contractor, our believers, they all love, they love Jesus and how they respond is for the most part in his, according to what we're supposed to. <laughs> but again, we're all human. So um, please pray for that, just the relationships. Obviously we want everybody to be safe on the site physically, um, but to have an impact on somebody's spiritual life would be pretty amazing as well. So, um, so that's all I got for today. Thank you, Thank
2: you Jake, all you're doing. As Jake brought up the meeting next Sunday, we hope you can make it. Um, also, uh, he brought up membership. Some of you have been maybe coming a while. You're like, oh man, I you know maybe maybe I should do that. You know, no, maybe you should. So come see me today, and we'll get that we'll get that ball rolling for you and. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited for that. And um, that's a, just a, a helpful step as we move forward to know who's in the game. So um, hopefully you'll come see me for that. Uh, let me pray for you. Father, for each heart, each home here, um, as Al mentioned, God, change us to become more like you. Your peace, your love, your power wash over us this, this week so we could walk in obedience for the glory of your name. It's your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.